Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back on the Wednesday show, thanks to you guys for joining us. Recording this Tuesday night so soon after the rankings were released that we're skipping the Gary Barta conference call this week. Normally, Shahan and I, you, man, you and I are on there grilling. Gary, we say. Gary! Gary! I know there was a story in The Athletic this week about how, like, uh, being the college football playoff selection committee chairman is, like, the most dangerous job in the world because people call your mom and tell her that her son is a terrible person. So I, I get it. I get it. We're not here to make fun of Gary Barta. But, Shahan, these rankings on Tuesday night, we're not going to spend a lot of time on them. We're going to dive into the the quarterback rankings for the playoff contenders, and we're going to kick a couple teams out of the discussion because we, like, kicking teams out they moved but they moved in a sensible way so we don't have a lot of complaints yeah no i'd agree i mean i I think that cincinnati moved up to four which is something that we anticipated uh ohio state finally has a like legitimate victory after beating michigan state so i think that they barely moved up Uh, alabama you know they was ranked ahead and now i think that ohio state has a trump card with that michigan state game um, yeah, I, I didn't have a whole lot of complaints. And as everybody knows from me, I love complaining about the committee. So if I don't have any complaints, uh, you know, I, I was amused to still see Arkansas at number 25. But other than that, I don't have any big complaints. Nice to welcome Clemson back to the rankings. <laughs> yeah, how about that? They're smoking Wake Forest. I almost feel like you should jump off this pod and get back on the call just to ask Gary Barter a question That is along the lines of Gary just wanted to say, great job, no complaints. I'll hang up and listen. It's not a question. No, they could use that. It's a tough job. They could use that. No, I mean, the funny thing is, right, and uh, and you mentioned that that great story in The Athletic uh, about – the uh about being the chairman of the committee right now the funny thing about it right is that when you look back and you think man what that guy said doesn't make any sense it's sometimes important to remember that he doesn't necessarily believe it right that he's speaking for a body of 12 people i think that it's felt that the committee's been a little bit more on the same page uh just based on how they've spoken um I can disagree with some of it. I, I think that if you beat a team head to head two weeks ago, you should be ranked ahead of them. But nothing's actually mattered to this point too bad. So, so far, I, I think relatively speaking, so good. I also would like to apologize to Kirby Hokut's mom for perhaps insinuating at some point over the years that Kirby Hokut is a robot. <laughs> so I apologize to that. I didn't actually get to read that whole story. I don't know if there was, if any of the committee chairmen said, sometimes people tweet that I'm a robot. And if, if they did say that in that story, then that would have been me. And for that, I apologize. Our shadow committee, again, we're, we're getting down to it. This is the thing. And, and, and I think voters are dumb, but I do think reality brings you together. And when I was an AP voter and I voted very, very, very differently than everybody, and I was a huge resume ranking guy and I went only by wins and I had Houston number two after week one, one year, that kind of stuff. People thought I was nuts. Lo and behold, by the end, I don't like to think that my ballot started to look like everybody else's. Everybody else's ballot started to look like mine. Because guess what? At the end, you vote on resume. So it's like in the beginning, if you're not voting on resume, well, then by the end, you've changed because you're not putting USC in just because they're famous. You go by record. 
So we're at the point, Shahan, where like our shadow committee isn't going to have a lot of difference with the committee because there's only certain ways you could go. So the real committee, Georgia one, our shadow committee, which is your vote, my vote, and the texter vote agrees. Ohio State two for the real committee. Shadow committee agrees. Our shadow committee has been higher than the real committee on Cincinnati all along, but we got closer. We got closer this week. So the real committee, Bama three, Cincinnati four, we're flip-flopped. Cincinnati three, Bama four. Michigan five, we agree. Then we flip-flop again. Real committee is Notre Dame six, Oklahoma State seven. We have that flip-flopped. We have Oklahoma State six, Notre Dame seven on our shadow committee. And then Oklahoma's last. That's the only the eight that I voted on because we're going to do some stuff here in a second. Oklahoma actually behind two two loss teams with the real committee, which goes back to what we talked about on Tuesday, which is that the committee hates Oklahoma. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, not very many differences. Like you mentioned, I don't think that there's really any differences that aren't going to be worked out in some way. Uh, we talked about Oklahoma State, uh, I believe, on yesterday's show, and – I think that they have a really great shot if they win their last two games to to make the college football playoff. Now, Alabama beating Georgia is certainly a wrinkle that I think we're all going to have to deal with in one way or another. But like, I don't think that Oklahoma State stays ranked behind Notre Dame if they pick up two more top 10 wins, right? I just don't see that happening. So none of the differences are meaningful at this point. I, I will be curious if Oklahoma does win this game over Oklahoma State this weekend where they rank next week to see if they're close enough to be able to jump Notre Dame and even, you know, getting into the conversation of Alabama. Uh, but again, to this point, I don't think that there's anything to look at that's not going to be handled. And I didn't even mention Michigan, who until you beat Ohio State, uh, I, I just am going to assume that you're not going to. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just one of those things. That number two spot is Big Ten champ. Yeah, if if it's Michigan, then a Michigan's going to go right there. I think yeah. so. That's what that is. That's what we've said all along. It it has come around, and this is no offense to anybody, but they were having a discussion on ESPN as the rankings came out, and they're talking about things. And I was like, man, this discussion sounds familiar, but yet not quite as good as something I heard before. And I was like, oh right, that was the <laughs> Tuesday podcast that we did, where we talked about the race for number four. Except we could do it in depth with great analysis, and Kirk Herbstreit had like twenty seconds to do it. So if you're like, "Oh, that's a good twenty second analysis," man, you would have loved the Tuesday podcast. Apple Podcast subscribers, you pay two ninety nine for the month to get all the Tuesday podcasts, seventy five cents a podcast to get that Tuesday show. Go to Apple, stick your thumb in the thing. I don't know. A robot comes and stamps your thumb. Come on, man. What what year is it? We're we're using our faces now. Catch up. Don't do the thing. Anything with your face is the, is Russia. <laughs> Don't do the thing. Don't do the thing. Which model do you look like? It's Russia. Don't, did you do that? You didn't do that, did you? Your face is in a Russian data bank right now. They're going to clone you. That's not what face ID is. That's no, they have it. It's over. Like we're, we're done. But, uh, but no, people are paying with their face now. Come on, get with the times. I will say that I, at times, like if I don't have my media credential, I at times have tried to use my face as my media credential, which is sort of like, don't you know who I am? I don't need a pass. My face is my pass. But that's my only face ID. I'm not putting my face in a computer screen. I'm not putting it in a phone. You're not getting this face. This face is for my wife. And that's it. Your face is being your face is being broadcast across the internet right this very second. 
All right, I'm turning off the Zoom. Um, it's a Squadcast. Squadcast, delete face. That didn't do it. Siri, delete face. All right, I'll get rid of it later. Let's kick people out because we can't talk about college football without uh, hurting people's feelings. We have 10 people in our current playoff discussion. Two of the teams that are in our discussion last lost last week. I asked the texter, should 9-2 and two Michigan State be kicked out of our playoff discussion? Michigan State lost big time to Ohio State. The texters, 94% yes. 6% want to keep Michigan State around. Shahan, you want to keep around two lost Michigan State? Pass. Pass. Goodbye, Michigan State. Unanimously booted. 9-2 and two Oregon. Blown out by Utah last week. Do you want to keep Oregon around or you want to kick them out? 94%, same 94%, kick them out. It's the same handful of people who are, who for some reason want to have two lost teams in our discussion. Shahan, Oregon, keep them around or kick them out? I want to meet that 6%, I guess, but uh, my answer is no. <laughs> yeah, we're down to brass tacks, though, man. Like, if you're not, if you can't actually make the playoff, we don't want to talk about you. There are eight teams that can make the playoff, and it is very clear and very interesting. Alabama and Georgia, they're going to play each other. Ohio State, Michigan, they're playing each other on Saturday. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, they're playing each other on Saturday, and they might play each other again after that. And then Cincinnati and Notre Dame, they've already played each other. And the winner of that game is in better shape than the loser of that game. But neither of them have lost another game, so they're both still around. That's it. So we're going to rank the quarterbacks on those eight teams then we'll get some couple questions from our tech subscribers, 817-442-6789. If you want to get in on that, you get to be part of the shadow committee. I have some other questions I asked the texters. We'll get their opinions on that. But first, after this break, time to rank the quarterbacks on the College Football Survivor Show. In case you missed the last College Football Survivor Show. When you're comparing Oklahoma to Notre Dame to Alabama, that's where I feel like there's a more legitimate conversation about Alabama, who is also a very flawed team, right? It's also a team that I don't think can win the national championship. And if they get blasted by Georgia, if they don't look like they belong on the same field, we shouldn't have this discussion. This is where we're at, where Oklahoma has nothing else to sell. I feel like Notre Dame has very little else to sell. Oklahoma State has a lot more else to sell, but if they're not the team in the discussion, I'm the ultimate, hey, come on, like, let's not default to Bama guy. But come on, these other two teams are not very good. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. All right, Shahan, we're getting back to our roots. The 19 people that were listening in August when we launched this podcast, we were like, oh, let's talk about the playoff in the summer before anybody else is doing it. Everyone's doing it now. Try to talk about the playoff in August. That's legit. Back then, we ranked, we had teams that we invited into our playoff discussion. Teams like, did we invite North Carolina? I think we did invite North Carolina. We did. We did. Actually, no, no. We we considered North Carolina. I said no. I I, I said uh, get them out of here, and I was absolutely right the whole time. Well done, well done. Yeah, we considered a lot of teams that weren't very good. We <laughs> talked about maybe LSU at some point, although I think we didn't put in LSU because you said something like yep. LSU is terrible. They are. So, and you were right. So many fired people. I would we would talk about fired people, except we have all of December, and we'll have time to talk about fired people for sure. I was mapping out our December strategy. It's actually pretty good, I think, because it's like, I think we're going to do like a, 
you know, after they pick everybody, we'll do like a surprises and disappointments from a playoff perspective. Then I think one week we break down one semifinal. The next week we break down another semifinal. The next week we make our picks for both games and they play. So it's actually, we'll just knock them out in one day and hold them for a month and drop them in for people. <laughs> Nothing will change. Change all shirts. Yeah. So anyway, back then we were ranking the, the teams that we deemed contenders on best defense, best coach, easiest schedule, best quarterback, that kind of thing. So we're getting back to that. There are like three things I mainly want to talk about. There's sort of like the guys at the top, who's the best of them? Who is Who has the best chance to like carry their team to a national title per se? There is a very specific Stetson Bennett conversation around Georgia that is yeah. very interesting. Yeah. And then there is the idea of, and I did some research on this, do you need, in this era, do you need a great quarterback to win a national title or to make the playoff? I, I kind of broke the quarterbacks of the playoff era, of the playoff teams, the 28 quarterbacks, into win because of quarterbacks or win with quarterbacks. Because listen, if you're in the playoff, they've won with you. You've, you have a certain level of competence, but are they winning because of you, right? And I'm trying to figure out which of the current teams have win because of quarterbacks and have or have win with you quarterbacks because there have been a lot of win because of quarterbacks in the playoff the last three years, Shahan. I think you could argue every playoff team of the last three seasons Mac Jones, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Ian Book, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts kind of stuff is a win because of quarterback. And I think you also I let's just go right here. Why 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 say we're going to talk about it? We're talking about it. I had come around to the idea of if you want to make the playoff, you almost you have to have a win because of quarterback. Is that right or is that wrong? I think that that's usually right. I, I think that this is a really weak year for quarterbacks. Now, I think that some of that is because you have so many good defensive players coming back for maybe fourth or fifth years of eligibility. But, I mean, it was a fun experiment putting together this ranking because once you get past three to me, there's a there's this huge drop-off, right? Like, you've got, like, two or three guys who are legit, maybe borderline Heisman Trophy types. And, by the way, the three who are on this list might not be who I think deserves to win the Heisman. They might not be who I think deserves to be the first team All-American. They don't, they're not guys who I think that I'd necessarily take in the first round of the NFL draft. That's just who happens to be really good right now. I, I think it's a very weak year for quarterback for a lot of reasons. Again, I, I think that having so many defensive players come back has really played a big role in defenses maybe trending a little bit ahead of offenses this year uh, and then also kind of losing a lot of skill talent I think to the NFL because skill talent is one of those things that it's primarily measurable based so like if you if you didn't get as much film last year as a receiver I think that's less of a, a big deal as not getting enough as a linebacker last year right and a linebacker you really need film so it's been a weird year I mean it's been a really weird year but in most years I do think that to win a national title at least you need pretty dang close to a win because of now we can have a Mac Jones conversation another time. I think that he's a huge part of it, but he also had a lot of talent around him. I, I think that plays a part of it too, but most years I'd say that you do this year. I don't think that's the case. And the, the hard part of the win because of discussion and whether you need it or not, is that 
Bama won a bunch of titles with win with quarterbacks, yes. right? And so, so they established this formula that now yes. they have gone away from, yes. frankly. And yes. it's one of those things. Is Mac Jones is like, well, I don't know. He was a Heisman finalist. He went in the first round, and he's starting for the team in the NFL that like might be the one seed in the AFC. So I think there was once a is Mac Jones a win with quarterback, and there was such great talent on that Alabama offense that I think maybe they could have won. With a win with, but I think he probably was was a win because because he did he's he's doing his job at a high level. So let's talk about win because let's stay on this year for one for one minute and yeah. talk about the weirdness. Then we'll talk about some past history. I looked at the quarterbacks. I looked at the nine quarterbacks that at least in one Heisman preseason ranking. The odds. These were the quarterbacks that were the nine highest quarterbacks in the preseason Heisman odds. Number one, Spencer Rattler. Who, who who blew up the whole college football season. Not by himself, but he was one of the matches that torched this thing. The, the Heisman frontrunner, clear Heisman frontrunner, expected leader of the team that we both picked to win the national championship, and now Oklahoma is hanging on by its fingernails with the backup quarterback, freshman Caleb Williams, because Spencer Rattler blew it. So that was really weird. That's one weird thing. Number two, DJ Uyunglele. <laughs> and we're in a world where we're talking about we had three second-year quarterbacks from California who were taking over as starters at the three preeminent programs in college football, taking over for first-round quarterbacks. And I think we all maybe would have said to ourselves, I don't know about all three hitting. And he's the one that did hit. So DJ Uyunglele has not been that good for Clemson. But then Bryce Young at Bama and CJ Stroud at Ohio State have been good. But DJ Uyunglele was the second Heisman favorite out. Then Bryce Young was third. CJ Stroud was fourth. We're going to talk about them. Then JT Daniels from Georgia, who got hurt, got replaced by his backup, and can't get his job back. Again, weird. Weird. Stan Howell? Is it Stan? It's not Stan. Sam. Is it Rich? Is it Todd? It's Sam? Why did it not sound right in my ear? It's not Todd. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> is it Gavin? Is it Gavin Howell? No. So Sam Howell, who I picked to win the Heisman, he was my Heisman choice. Good quarterback is going to go in the first round. North Carolina, which people thought was a dark horse, dark horse Heisman or dark horse playoff contender, out. Derek King from Miami. People in on him. Miami mediocre. And he got hurt. He got hurt. To be clear, Keaton Slovis, USC. I don't. I don't even know what happened to him. He's also hurt right now. Yeah, Mediocre team. And then Matt Corral from Ole Miss, who's playing for a top 10 team, but they have two losses. They're not in the playoff discussion. So, like, that's, like, pretty weird that you have those nine guys and two of them are kind of alive in the discussion that we're going to have. We have Heisman dark horses that pop up, but that is kind of a weird array of dudes who kind of fell by the wayside in terms of leading a team as a great quarterback into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and, and you talk to the NFL guys, right? The guys who were supposed to be it this year were Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell. Now, Sam Howell's been pretty good, but the receivers, uh, you know, being without those receivers, having to replace two running backs who caught the ball a lot, he's never really recovered from that. Uh, you know, he's a real uh, downfield-type passer, and Josh Downs is really that only guy. He just hasn't been the same since then. And, I mean, the funny thing about, uh, you mentioned the three California kids. 
I would have thought that the surest thing would have been DJU because we saw him start two football games and look awesome while doing it. But unfortunately, yeah, last year. But unfortunately, without Travis Etienne, who I think has been a huge loss for them, just in terms of being a, a dual threat type of running back, uh, but then also not having kind of consistent receiver play and also just not being very good. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I certainly would not have pegged him as the guy who wouldn't work out because I feel like we saw him work out uh, at points last year. Clemson did lose a lot of guys, right? Travis Etienne is a huge loss. But they, they're they still Clemson. They still yeah. have some guys. They have some young running backs that we talked a lot about in the preseason. Who look good now, yeah. They still had some they still have some skill talent. I do feel like DJ Uyungle is like the placebo or the control group for Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. That if you go too far down the line of, ah, I mean, I don't know, a young quarterback there, Bama and Clemson, Ohio State, anybody could do that. I do think the way that DJ Uyunglele has played, that if he was playing at Alabama or Ohio State, that those teams might not be in the playoff. Because both Ohio State and Alabama had growing pains with those young quarterbacks and took a loss with those young quarterbacks, but have hung around and still have a chance because, by and large, those young quarterbacks have played very well while surrounded by lots of talent. But I think DJ is... Just the context there. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I, I feel probably more strongly about it at Alabama than maybe at Ohio State. I think that Ohio State might just be so good offensively that it doesn't matter too much. But like at Alabama, I mean, Jameson Williams has been good, but he hasn't really been like a world beater, right? And he's kind of been the guy. John Mechie didn't really take the step that we expected him to take. Uh, you know, they've been fine at running back, but they're more of like an inside zone, pounded for four yards type team. And their offensive line has been good. But I mean, they've they've had issues against some of the better teams that they played. So, I mean, you, you made the case a while back that maybe Bryce Young is the like game changer that we always think about in college football, but he just plays at Bama so we don't necessarily get to appreciate it. I don't think I'm there as yet. I, I don't think I'm all the way there, but I'm a lot closer to there than I was when we started the year because especially these last two to three weeks, he has been under a lot of pressure, and that's not something I saw coming. So let's talk about the need for game-changing quarterbacks because we are going to have – there are a lot of – there's some game managers still hanging around, and it makes me wonder, like, are we underestimating them? I would say in the 24 playoff teams – I have six of 24 quarterbacks that I guess I would call more win with than win because of guys. So let's go in reverse order and we'll kind of do this quick because it's not a history podcast. It's on the history <laughs> channel. It's college football right now, but we like you to learn, right? We want you to learn a little bit. Actually, we don't want you to learn. Just be entertained for half an hour while you're on the treadmill. 2020, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Ian Book from Notre Dame. I think those are all win because of guys. Yes, for sure. 2019, Joe Burrow, LSU, Fields and Lawrence. Again, Jalen Hurts, Oklahoma, all win because of guys. I, there's a whole long Jalen Hurts discussion for me to have, and we're not going to have it here. Really? He finished second in the Heisman race that year. Man, you think he I, might be a win? You think he might be a win with? I, I'm not going to go that far because obviously Lincoln Riley's system is so built around quarterbacks. As, as by the way, when we get to these quarterback rankings, we'll have that conversation uh, about the 2021 guys. But he was a very one read quarterback at Alabama. I think, I'm sorry, at Oklahoma. I think he's gotten better since he's gotten to the NFL. I think he's started to process a little better, but like 
man, by the end of his time at Oklahoma, he was a, if the receiver's not there, run for your life type quarterback. And I think that really got exposed against Dave Aranda's defense at LSU. I do think another shorthand for me a little bit is if you're an NFL guy and the fact that Jalen Hurts is starting in the NFL affects my judgment of that, that there's almost, I think there's win because of talent there, even if you might argue the way he was used or the way he happened to play in that moment was maybe more win with than people would anticipate. And and I will say, right, like I probably am taking too much for granted the fact that he's one of the better running quarterbacks that we've seen in a while, right? Like being a one read and go, like he went, right? He's a huge part of why they, uh, they managed to win games. And also Spencer Rattler, the placebo for Oklahoma quarterbacks. If you think (laughs) anybody can win in the Lincoln Riley's (laughs) in the system, it's like not anybody, not that guy. (laughs) 2018 to a Tonga by low at Bama. Trevor Lawrence again, as a freshman, Ian book again, his first year doing it. He won, he took over the starting job in like week three from Brandon Winbush and Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. I think that's four win because of guys. Even the, Trevor was young, but he was still Trevor. Yeah. 2017. 2017 is interesting. At Bama, you have Jalen Hurts all the way until halftime of the national title game. And then you put right. in Tua. But I still think they're both because. I think they're because, yeah. not with. Baker Mayfield for sure wins the Heisman. Easy. Then you have Kelly Bryant at Clemson. And Jake Fromm at Georgia. Jake Fromm at Georgia's freshman takes over when Jacob Eason gets hurt in the first game, keeps the job. Kelly Bryant is in a one-year gap between Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. He'll start the next year as the starter and be replaced by Trevor Lawrence. I decided I have Bryant and Fromm both as win-with, not because of. Fromm had Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, and DeAndre Swift in the backfield of Georgia, and they were running like crazy. And that was in the era of unbelievable, like Clemson defensive lines, right? Like that. And Kelly Bryant's stats were not that big. Right. No, I, I think that Jake Fromm's career has gotten criticized a little unfairly with the way that he finished. And obviously, for good reason with the Justin Fields thing, he was a good player. I, I think by his second year, he was leaning more towards win because of his first year, though. I, I think that he definitely leaned a lot more win with. I think that's a lot of that is because it was from as a freshman. All right. So those are our first two win with 2016 hurts at Bama as a young guy. I'm still going to say, because I will hear an argument on that, though. Deshaun Watson, the ultimate win because of quarterback. JT Barrett at Ohio State, they got shut out by Clemson in the semifinal that year, which was proof that they needed to change their offense. He's not an NFL quarterback, not even close. But he was what Ohio State wanted then, and he did what they wanted at a very high level. So I will say win because of, because he did what was asked of him. He ran it a lot. He was pretty efficient throwing it. He had moments where he threw it and won games for them. I'm curious if someone, you know, I cover Ohio State every game, how you would view JT Barrett. And then Jake Browning from Washington, who I called a noodle arm because I thought he was a cousin of the Wisconsin noodle arm quarterbacks. I'm probably unfair to Jake Browning. Washington, like, never really probably belonged in that playoff mix but they got there i'm still a win with on him but if someone has strong jake browning feelings i'll hear it i mean he threw for 43 touchdowns that season he was a really good player for them and the other thing too that i'll point to is that with washington like they've never been 
back to that level uh, from Jake uh, Jake Browning's sophomore season. All right, I'll, I I I I I feel that I feel that yeah. you. I, yeah. I, now I, I now I now I got to call Jake Browning. The, I got to call Kirby Hocutt's family. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to call Jake Browning's family. After the, the big thing with Jake Browning is that he just steadily got worse throughout his career, but his sophomore year was really, really good. Those guys who get worse, the older they get, it throws off the backwards yeah. evaluation of it them. Does. It does. Jake because Bob's you forget there. they were good when they were young. Same deal. Same deal. And uh, just to go back to JT Barrett for a second, I think JT Barrett is absolutely a, a win because of guy. So much of their offense was structured around doing what he did well, right? I mean, we kind of talk about the Jalen Hurts thing uh, of obviously needing to be a runner. I mean, you talk about sort of that spread option stuff that Urban Meyer had. That's what you do, right? I mean, that's kind of, I, I mean, not that the stats are similar, but it's like, you know, Tim Tebow, a huge part of his game was running the football in that offense. Uh, JT Barrett was asked to do that. He did it at a really high level and he was responsible for a crazy amount of Ohio State's offense. Okay, that was good to hear because, like, that's what I would have thought. But, you know, like, again, I didn't know what someone who's a national guy but not covered Ohio State every week would think. Okay, 2015, Deshaun Watson, Clemson again? Definitely yes. Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma? Definitely yes. These two I'm a little less sure of. Connor Cook from Michigan State. So Connor Cook, like, Michigan State beat Ohio State that year when Connor Cook didn't play? Like he didn't play that night and they won anyway. Connor Cook was a guy again, like Connor Cook when Ohio when Michigan State beat Ohio State in the 2013 Big Ten Championship game. There was a some decent amount of because of Connor Cook right there. By 15, like I know he's I think he went in the third round of the NFL draft and stuff. Michigan State was doing some pretty good stuff defensively. It's kind of like the no-fly zone era, like D'Antonio kind of do it. I don't know. I'm on the fence on him. And then Jake Coker at Alabama. Wins the national championship. I would call him a win with quarterback, except in the national championship game against Clemson and Deshaun Watson that both teams scored in the 40s. He threw for like 350 yards and beat Deshaun Watson. So I think he might have been a win with right up until the point where they needed him to be a win because of, and then he was. So then I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, he's very much a, a win with. I mean, he is like the prototype for the win with. Well, I guess AJ McCarron is really the prototype for the win with. But, uh, but you know, Jake, Jake Coker, I mean, he had a great game, like you mentioned. I'm not going to rewrite his whole career because of how it ended. The flip side of the Jake Browning argument. Um, with Connor Cook, they won because of their defense, man. They had one of the craziest defenses in recent memory. I, re- I remember actually, uh, it was funny because I was, I was covering Baylor at the time, you know, as a student out there and they had like these crazy offensive numbers where they're just, you know, averaging 680 yards a game and 70 points a game. And then I'd like look at the NCAA stat column, uh, and be like, how is Michigan State holding teams to 230 yards a game? That's impossible. How how is that real? So I mean, that's Michigan State, right? Like that's that's what they did. That's what they do. Connor Cook. Now he was good enough, which I think that they didn't have somebody who was good enough for basically any other year for the rest uh, of uh, the D'Antonio era. But he was along for the ride. And like in thirteen, I think he was better, right? Another guys again who might have yeah. peaked early in his career. They beat Iowa sixteen thirteen in the Big Ten championship game. That was like Le'Veon Bell, I think, yeah. right? And they had like Jeremy Langford back in the day. Like they, they had some really good running backs. So like he, he was the guy who managed everything and he did it really well. Uh, I, I'm not going to take into account. I can't remember who brought up the criticism that his teammates didn't vote him a team captain and that's why he should fall in the draft. I'm not going to do all that, but, uh, you know, I mean, they had some really good quarterbacks for him too, uh, with, with Brian Hoyer and with Kirk Cousins. 
he was kind of just more of like the like, okay, the defense is really elite, so we're going to achieve even more. LJ Scott was the guy I was thinking of, I think, in in 15. He had LJ Scott 22 carries for 73 yards in the Big Ten Championship game because that's how Michigan State and Iowa played. Connor Cook in the Big Ten Championship game, 16 of 32 for 191 and a pick. So we'll win with him and we'll win with Coker. 2014 first playoffs, Jameis Winston, Florida State, Marcus Mariota, Oregon. Those are two Heisman winners. So they're because of – the JT Barrett Cardale Jones combo kind of worked out perfectly for Ohio State. Again, they were pretty stacked with NFL dudes. It might be hard to like make an argument for your third string quarterback because again, they thought Braxton Miller was going to be the starter at the beginning of that year. So they played their second string guy all year, then he got hurt. And they played their third string guy in the playoff and they won the national title. I get maybe not thinking those are win with guys. So I, I don't know. I'll yield to you on that, even though I covered every second of those games. And then to me, the ultimate, ultimate win because of guy is the guy that I just almost could not believe it when we got to that playoff semifinal and I covered that in person. And I was like, this is the Alabama quarterback? And it was Blake Sims, who was like a converted <laughs> linebacker or something. Yeah, And yeah. was like a great leader and smart and tough and how – my goodness, how is that the quarterback for the number one seed in the first college football playoff year? Remarkable. Remarkable. So he was definitely a win with guy. Where are you on the Ohio State guys? Yeah, I, I think that they're definitely win uh win because of guys. Now, the run game is a huge part of that, right? But uh but I think that you know the way that their offense is structured, and I think that's a big part of it, right? Because you look at Alabama, their offense back in the day was structured in such a way that they could kind of get away with, all right, you're going to throw an eight yard out, but we're mostly going to run the ball. We're mostly going to bowl teams over. I'd compare it more. We'll again, get into it to the Georgia situation this year where they're really trying to do one thing and they more need a quarterback to kind of take care of business elsewhere than they need to like go out and do things. I don't think that's the case for an Ohio state offense. I don't think that you can get away with not having a guy, even if it's just things flowing through him, you, you can't get away with, with having a guy who isn't dynamic because that's how the whole system is built. No, I agree with that. And again, those two were talking about win with quarterbacks for Bama in 2014 and 2015. You know what helps that? Derrick Henry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Quite helpful. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we've got 24 quarterbacks then. No. Seven times four. Seven times four. 28. 28 quarterbacks. Math in my head. Live on (laughs) podcast is one of my specialties. 28 quarterbacks. We agreed five were win with. And how many of those were Bama quarterbacks? <laughs> Blake Sims for Bama in 14. Jake Coker for Bama in 15. Connor Cook for Michigan State in 15. Jake Fromm for Georgia in 17 as a young guy. Kelly Bryant for Clemson in 17. So that's five of the 28. So yeah. now we have a threshold. I think we can draw a line in our rankings at where we move from win with to win because of. So we will now go to our rankings of the quarterbacks for the eight playoff teams because we are down to eight playoff teams. So we don't have to talk about Anthony Brown and Peyton Thorne. And I do want to, I do want to real quick, just clarify. So for us, when because of means they're going out and, and being a plus for their team. If you replace them with a replacement level player, that team would be worse noticeably and wouldn't be to that level as opposed to win with. Cause, cause for example, I mean, one that I think that we'll get into is Desmond Ritter who, 
plays on a team whose specialty is defense, but that doesn't mean that he's somebody that's just along for the ride either. Yes. I, I would say that. Can we clip that definition? <laughs> They're gonna, the guys, the, the control booth's going to clip that, put it on social. Um, all right. Who is your number eight? Yeah, this was a, this was tough. Um, I'll say right now, my bottom two, my seven and my eight both come from the great state of Oklahoma, which heading into the year would have been inconceivable for two reasons. One, that Oklahoma State is in our discussion. And two, that my number eight quarterback would be Caleb Williams from the University of Oklahoma. Wow. I am fascinated to hear this. And I yield to your Big 12 expertise, just like you yield to my expertise on robot thumbprints. (laughs) I had Caleb Williams four. And I will tell you, there is stuff that you look at. There are metrics that you look at. I was looking at QBR, it's quarterback rating system. Yeah, Neither yeah. Stetson Bennett nor Caleb Williams qualified by playing enough snaps. But if Caleb Williams did qualify, his QBR rating would tie him for second in the nation. His PFF ranking, again, by their grading system, is third in the nation. I sort of don't buy that entirely but i bought it enough to have him fourth i i want to hear the case for why this guy because listen this guy is a five-star recruit he's probably going to be very very good but why do you have him eight now yeah i mean Look, look at his, uh, look at his, uh, QBR for individual games, right? That game against Texas, who's a team that's now not going to make a bowl game, 97.6. TCU, 94.8. Another team that's not going to make a bowl game. Kansas, 94.1. Texas Tech, they did make a bowl game, but, you know, we had the whole discourse about, hey, maybe uh, putting up a lot of points and yards on Texas Tech might not be representative. 94.9. The last two weeks, playing against good defenses, Against Baylor, against Iowa State. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that you are only what you do against good defenses because then every quarterback in the country would be bad. But in the last two games, 17 of 36, 229 combined yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. And he did have a 74 yard breakaway touchdown run on a broken play that he did wrong, by the way. He's just, you know, a great athlete. So he managed to make something happen, but. He has been a net negative for this team. Uh, Obviously, he came in and had some big moments, especially against Texas Tech and against Texas, throwing for a combined eight touchdowns in those those games. But since the competition's gotten real, he's really crumbled in a lot of ways. And you kind of get to see at this point, right? Uh, Something that Lincoln Riley kind of alluded to early in the year is that when you're dealing with a young quarterback, you kind of have to make things manageable. You have to make things digestible. And so in a lot of ways, Caleb Williams becomes a one-read-and-run quarterback, right? But Caleb Williams is the number one quarterback recruit in the country. He can obviously throw the ball at a high level. And you saw, part of this is is that I was there for kind of both sides of this, right? I saw the Texas game and I saw the Baylor game live. But, uh, you, you know, when when he gets stymied, he makes mistakes. He makes some big mistakes. And for me... I just don't think that going against some of these better teams in the country that he's going to do well, right? I mean, because Baylor's a good defense. They're not Georgia. They're not even Oklahoma State. I mean, Oklahoma State this upcoming week 
is going to be a problem. I mean, they they really should not have him throw the ball very much at all. And they didn't have him throw the ball very much as all the last two games. Again, only 18 attempts per game in the past two games. And I think that a lot of their game plan against Oklahoma State and against Baylor, if they get them again, or Oklahoma State again, uh, and then into the playoff, if it's Georgia or Alabama or whoever, a lot of their game plan is going to be, how can we try to make it so that Caleb Williams doesn't ruin everything? Wow. So there's upside, skill upside there, yes, but not yes. the reliability because I would have thought maybe there's some game managers here that I'd take the upside because yeah. I think I know what I'm going to get with a couple of these other QBs and I know that yeah. it's fine because to me this is this is sort of like a list like this is if you are running a very good college football team and you're having a quarterback draft, who in order, who right. do you plug into your team? So you're saying you would take everybody else and plug them in ahead of Caleb Williams because of his propensity for mistakes that will kill you, which you think is going to really show up even more against good defenses. Yeah, and I want to just see him have a, not a great game against a good defense, but I want to see him have a game that isn't miserable against a good defense, right? Because these last two games were miserable. And you start looking back and and you start being like, was that just Texas not being prepared for him? Because I don't think that they're as bad as, especially at that point, they were as bad as they played, but like they just weren't prepared for him. They didn't know what he was going to do. And then it's just a lot of meaningless yards against teams that are not very good. And and even in that Kansas game, right? I mean, because because one thing is uh, you, you mentioned QBR, you mentioned quarterback rating, you know, the, the old school stat. Like Lincoln Riley's figured out how to cheat that system, right? Like he's figured out how to put his quarterbacks in positions to have high completion percentages to, uh, you know, just he's made it manageable for them, especially because they have the receivers to have great yards after the catch. So for me, I almost don't buy into that too much because I, I see what they're doing as well, right? I try to look at it from that perspective and he's just not ready. I, I mean, he's just not ready at this point. And I wouldn't be shocked if things go really badly to start against Oklahoma State if they put Spencer Rattler back in. And I don't know if that's going to go well because I just don't think that they have the horses right now to be able to be explosive uh, in both the pass and run game. And this is one of these things that nobody should be learning this about Caleb Williams because he should be working all this stuff out in practice. Yes, yes. and and he's going to have a great career. He's going to have an awesome career at Oklahoma, but... I mean, we we went through this uh, to some extent with Jalen Hurts in year one at Alabama, right? Where it's just like the talent is is really interesting. But like that first year, I mean, uh, I, I think it was his first year when they had the Alabama versus LSU game that ended like 7-0. And they were just like, all right, throw, do it. <laughs> you know, we dare you. And Caleb Williams isn't that, but it's, hey, make a read. We bet that you're going to make a mistake. And I just think that that's where they're at right now. Happened at Ohio State with Braxton Miller in 2011 when they thought Terrell yeah. Pryor was going to be a senior. He left. They end up playing Braxton Miller, and it's like he's a true freshman, and he is not really ready for it. He's spectacular in moments, but consistently, like especially early in the year, he had some trouble. And again, this is not this is not about Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams no. should not be being forced no. to do this. This is about Spencer Rattler and Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma program that was like a uh, freshman. Could you yeah. try to save us, please? And he's trying to. All right. So who you then have Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, seven. Is that correct? Yeah. Because yeah. that's who I had eight. But yeah. you go ahead and talk about Spencer Sanders. 
So I think he's done a pretty good job this year of not making too many mistakes. Now, that's <laughs> that's obviously not the highest of praise by any means, but I do think that he's managed games a little bit better than he has in years past. Uh, he has less interceptions than he's had in years past. Now, his completion percentage is down a little bit from last year. He's only had about 60%. But I think he's doing a better job of picking his moments. And the other thing, too, is that I think that the Oklahoma State staff is doing a really good job of trying to limit his mistakes. I mean, they've run him a hundred times already this year, which was as much as they ran him all of 2020. Um, and, and he's at 417 yards and five touchdowns. So he is a little bit more of a dual threat guy than a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about on this list. Still very much a, he's just there for the ride and they've really relied on their running back, Jalen Warren, who's been fantastic and Oklahoma state's defense, which is incredible. I mean, it's really, really, really good. I can't wait for it to play Oklahoma. Um, but I, I think that he has just made fewer mistakes. Now, he hasn't had the big games that Caleb Williams has had, but I guess it sort of comes down to, right, does bum slaying, does putting up numbers on bad teams mean more to you, or is it what they do when they're kind of faced with something? I mean, did you say bum bum slaying? Bum slaying. <laughs> yeah, slaying bums. <laughs> Is that like a Big Twelve saying, or did you just invent that? No, I feel like I, uh, I feel like I tended to hear of it back in the day when, uh, back, you know, I'm a big Bulls fan. Back in the day when Carlos Boozer would always go off against teams that sucked, and people would just call him a bum slayer. <laughs> and you know what? It's okay. We won 62 games that way. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, um, I, like, I don't know. We're like in game manager. This is the game managers. These yeah, are the yeah. win with guys. So like, yeah. I, I don't know what I want. Yeah. I, Cause I kind of don't want any of, I actually don't want any, like not really, yeah. you know, it's like, I, can I have Stan Howell? I know it's Sam. I'm just making fun of myself. Can I have Matt Corral? Can I have these other guys? Can I have Malik Willis? You know, like, can I have these, these great quarterbacks? Can I have Kenny Pickett? All these great quarterbacks who are on teams that have nothing to do with the playoff. And it's like, well, who would you rather have? How do you rate Spencer Sanders versus Jack Cohn versus Cade McNamara? And it's like none, but I have to. So I don't. I I didn't really have a lot of conviction with my Jack Cohn, Cade McNamara, Spencer Sanders rating, but I made Spencer Sanders eighth. I made Jack Cohn from Notre Dame seventh, and I made Cade McNamara McNamara from Michigan sixth. So who did you have right ahead of Sanders? That's interesting. I am much higher on Jack Cohn at this point than you are. I had Stetson Bennett up next. Okay, let's hold the Stetson Bennett conversation. I, so you have Bennett six, Stetson Bennett from yeah. Georgia. Who do you have five? I have the uh, the Cade McNamara-JJ McCarthy combination. And then you have Jack Cohn fourth. So let's talk about Jack Cohn. Yeah. He had trouble early. Yes. And the Cincinnati loss, he was 14 of 22 for 114 yards and a pick. Does not really do anything with his legs. Battled some injuries, had like a finger issue, right? Like he was playing through some stuff. But he has kind of got in this little efficiency mode. The last six weeks, he's completing like 75% of his passes. Against Georgia Tech on Saturday was like, sort of the ultimate where Jack Cohn is right now, 15 of 20 for 285 and two scores. He hasn't, he threw 29 passes against Navy. Um, but the first three games of the year, he threw 35, 33 and 30 passes. 
and they beat Florida State in overtime, Toledo, excuse me, Toledo by three, and then Purdue by two scores. And then he threw 29 against Wisconsin and barely completed half his passes. They still somehow won because Wisconsin's quarterback play was worse. And I think they said to themselves, you know what we shouldn't do? Ask Jack Cohn to throw it 30 times. Is there something else we could do? Like, I don't know, ask Jack Cohn to throw it 20 times. And now (laughs) the last two weeks, Jack Cohn is 15 of 20 both weeks, and they're smoking people. Notre Dame has scored 55, 28, 34, 44, 31, and 32 in the six games since the Cincinnati loss. But this feels like like ultimate with, not because of territory, right? I mean, this is a defense that has come around. This is Kyron Williams in the backfield. This is Mike Mike Mackey at tight end. All the, they didn't get any awards credit this week. Notre Dame's all mad about it. I I, I want to hear the Jack Cohn should be fourth on this list explanation from you because it intrigues me. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that you called him Mike Mackey instead of Mike uh, Mayer because you're very upset, of course, that he wasn't nominated for the Mackey Award. <laughs> he shares a name with the award, and yet they did nominate him. <laughs> no, Mike Mayer is awesome. He's a really, really good player. He's torn yeah. people apart this year. He looks like Gronk. Like He yeah. looks like, oh, I don't know how anybody could cover that guy. So no. maybe, maybe could the Mackey Award look up and pe- see if people put Mike Mackey instead of <laughs> Mike Mayer, and that's why he didn't make the finalist list? I, I don't anticipate that that happened, but uh, I can certainly look into it. No, I mean, I, I think that Cone is very much a win-with guy. I actually think that five of the guys out of the eight on this list are at this point, to me, win-with guys. Um but Cone has been really consistent, 18 touchdowns, five interceptions. He's completed 67% of his passes. And he mentioned since they kind of settled down a little bit on the offensive line, uh, since they've kind of gotten a little bit of their run game back, he's been super efficient, uh, completed over 50. Oh, sorry. It completed over 70% of his passes in five of his last six games. Uh, he proves that, you know, in some of these moments that you can trust him to make big throws in big situations. He's won close games, uh, at several times this season. So like, I think that he has been aggressively solid. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I'd say about him is that he has not been the reason that they have been close or losing any game. He has just been more than good enough anytime they've asked him to do anything. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that we were totally wrong about him because certainly he's not, like we say, a win uh, because of guy. But I do think that he's shown enough that, I mean, if this was the starting quarterback, uh, even last year at Alabama, I think that they're fine, right? Like he's not going to go out and necessarily win you games, but I think that he, if you put him in the right situations, which I think they've done much better the past couple of weeks, granted the competition plays part of that, I, I think that he's been very, very consistent. He hasn't made mistakes. And uh, and really, other than that Cincinnati game, I think he's been pretty good. Interesting. It, it, part of it is philosophy because, yeah. and you and I sort of, I think have done this in the past where I'm maybe I shoot for upside. Yeah. And you shoot more for steady certainty. And yeah. so if you're asking me, all right, we got to go win a game. You want Cohen or you want Caleb Williams? I was like, I'll take Caleb Williams because I don't know, maybe. And it's like, you know what you're getting with Jack Cohn, which is, but uh, but you're like, I know what I'm getting with Jack Cohn. And I'm like, I know what I'm getting with Jack Cohn. So you have Cohn fourth. I have him seventh. I have Caleb Williams fourth. You have him eighth. So that's our disagreement there. I think the Cade McNamara discussion at Michigan is along the lines of the Jack Cohn discussion. Yeah. 
I had Cone one spot below McNamara on my list. You had Cone one spot above McNamara on your list. J.J. McCarthy does fold into that. A couple weeks ago, Jim Harbaugh played Cade McNamara the whole game against Penn State, but then Cade McNamara, like, threw a sidearm pass against Maryland and hit a guy in the head and he got deflected. And Jim Harbaugh like took him out and was like, what are you doing? And put J.J. McCarthy in. <laughs> yeah. So I am anticipating some J.J. McCarthy, who's a five-star freshman for Michigan this week against Ohio State. But it's it's going to be Cade McNamara when it matters. He threw for more than 300 yards in the Michigan State game. He does get a little sidearm sometimes. Like he's like a lot of Big Ten quarterbacks. He's kind of like Sean Clifford at Penn State. He's kind of like Adrian Martinez at Nebraska, who's unfortunately going to miss his last game of his career against Iowa on Friday. Like they can show you something, but man, the next play, they literally might hit one of their linemen in the butt with the pass and get it intercepted. So that makes me a little nervous with McNamara, which is why I had him sixth. I had him behind Stetson Bennett. I want to get to Bennett. So do you have like, do you disagree with what I'm sort of saying about McNamara to any large degree? No, I, I think that I feel like you get that little bit of upside with JJ McCarthy, right? I kind of folded them in a little more, um, which, which maybe I should have done that with, uh, with JT Daniels, right? I mean, we just, it seems like we're not going to see him. I mean, I've been waiting all year long, basically. Well, here we go. If we're going to yeah. go on the Bennett discussion, Let's then go. we got to go. Bye, Kate Mc- go. McNamara. This is amazing. This is the ultimate story of this college football season is that Georgia is riding with its lesser talented quarterback, I think, because they're afraid to rock the boat. Well, by the way, uh, con- congratulations. That means that uh, that JT Daniels is about to go to Ohio State and be a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. Oh. <laughs> Georgia fans are turning off this podcast. Right now. <laughs> don't, don't make Justin Fields jokes in the middle of their <laughs> national title run. It's not fair. So. <laughs> I do uh, – I, at times, again, I have done a Stetson Bennett voice. It's kind of like a foghorn leghorn thing as I, I'm a hedge fund manager. Uh, I'm a hedge fund manager here to lead the Georgia Bulldogs to the promised land. And then I will take your 401K and lead it to the promised land as well. He's the, <laughs> he's going to be the national championship quarterback, and like people are going to throw that in the fa- my face for the rest of my life. I can't believe it, and Georgia can't believe it. He was their third string. He wasn't even their backup starting the year. He was their third string guy. But two things are happening. One is they they don't want to rock the boat. So JT Daniels is healthy. He played the second half against Missouri a couple weeks ago. Like he's healthy and they're not playing him. And the other thing is they keep talking about it. JT Daniels can scoot a little bit. And they like the mobility of Stetson Bennett. Excuse me, not JT Daniels. JT Daniels, no scoot. No scoot for him. Stetson Bennett can move. He can move in the pocket. He scored a touchdown, a broken play the other day, got in the end zone. And they seem to like that. And it's one of those things. Again, they probably like it because with any great defense, oh, how do you beat a great defense? Oh, you have a dual threat quarterback who can move a little bit, whatever. That's what everybody thinks. That's what everybody's always said about Alabama. Like, I don't know. The the crazy thing about this season, Shahan, is that the in this chaotic year, the overriding dominating no doubt about it number one team is playing a former walk-on at quarterback that they're afraid to take out of the lineup and i feel like two things could happen one is we might get the bowl practice and that might be like you know what it actually is jt daniels and jt daniels is suddenly going to start in the semifinal and the final or 
JT Daniels is going to come in in like the middle of the second quarter when Stetson Bennett goes up against a playoff defense and they're like, oh, wait, no, yeah, no, that isn't, no, that wasn't real at all. Or they just won the national title with him. But I can't think, Taco, we just went through this whole list, Shahan. This would be the absolute most surprising, unbelievable, I can't, how is this possible that this guy's a national championship quarterback in the playoff era? And I don't think it's close. Because Jake <laughs> Coker was like a five-star recruit yeah. at Florida State who transferred because he couldn't beat out Jameis and came back to Alabama. But Stetson Bennett walked on. What are we doing? What is Georgia? But but all And Kirby Smart's leaning into it. Kirby Smart says stuff like, I know everybody thinks, can they win a national title with Stetson Bennett? And everyone's like, yes, Kirby. That is what we are thinking. <laughs> and then he just keeps playing him. Are they crazy like a fox, man? Like, do they know better than anybody? Or are they just like holding their breath and hoping they win a national title with 25-star recruits on their defense? Yeah, I mean, I think that we look at the the teams that have won a national title with the guys who are along for the ride. I, I mean, the real only example that we have of it is with uh, is with Alabama and Jake Coker. And that's kind of what it looks like, right? It looks like a quarterback who is allowed to basically just exist. And that's what Stetson Bennett does best, right? I mean, he stands tall in the pocket. And I'll tell you what, he, he breathes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all of these things. I, I'll tell you what, if, if Georgia or to God forbid, not win the national title because they wanted to hand the ball to Stetson Bennett to run the ball instead of Zamir White, then they're going to burn down the facility. They're going to tar and feather Kirby Smart. No, but I I get it because Stetson Bennett hasn't done anything to lose the job. And JT Daniels, to be fair, when he has played, he's not been awesome. He's been pretty good. I mean, it's mostly been in, in uh, reserve, of course. Uh, and his real only kind of significant, significant time were the games against Clemson and against South Carolina. He hasn't really played a ton since then because of injuries, because of other things as well. Um, but like, I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> no, I, I get the idea that you don't want to rock the boat, but I just have a hard time believing that Stetson Bennett is just so popular. I mean, yeah, maybe he's doing everybody's taxes. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. But uh, but I, I just have a hard time believing that, like, Brock Bowers is going to be like, man, whew, I miss those soft throws. I, I, I miss him <laughs> being able to know exactly where I am. And you know, the other thing that I will say, too, right, is that Georgia basically has made it 11 games and they'll make it through 12 because this is not going to become a factor then either. They basically made it through 12 games without revealing any of their passing offense without like revealing anything to put on tape. Is that the plan? Like is the plan that they're going to go play the SEC championship game and then install a completely brand new offense before the college football playoff that literally nobody has ever seen in their life except for like a couple games at the end of last year. Like, is that the plan? I, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know if they know for sure what the plan is. It is one of those things. I think everybody from the outside, we don't live in Georgia, says this. And like everybody around them is like, oh, you don't get it. Everybody loves Stetson. His cool. six, last six <laughs> SEC starts, because he started against like Chattanooga last week. That doesn't count. Starts against uh, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, Tennessee. 
He played basically, I think, the whole game and all those except the Missouri game. Average game, 13 of 20 for 197 yards. Eight carries for 40 yards on average. But they scored 37, 34, 30, 34, 43, 41, which is more than enough with this defense. So if that's it, so I think they like the mobility. I think they think he works the play action pretty well and can take a couple shots off their run game. And, like, I guess he's not making any mistakes. But, again, they they didn't believe in him because he was playing the end of last year, and it was like, oh, no, 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 it's going to be JT Daniels. And, again, I think he was their third-string guy to start the year. So this is not like, oh, everyone doubted on the outside, doubted Stetson Bennett. It's like, no, the people on the inside doubted him too. Yes, yes. So – and the other thing, too, is that if JT Daniels isn't great, let's just say hypothetically JT Daniels is struggling in practice. They've got a high four-star in Carson Beck, and they've got another five-star freshman in Brock Vandegrift, who are also on the roster, who are not getting any sort of, like, you know, ability or, like, opportunity, right? Like, what is going on? Maybe, Maybe everybody sucks. Maybe this is just, like a way old school SEC quarterback situation where they got all these five stars who are actually bad at football and they just want to, you know, they just want to run the LSU offense or something like that from back in the day. And they want Brock Bowers to make it all the way to the NFL before everybody realizes he's the greatest player in the history of college football. Like, I don't know, but for me, you know, again, and going back to the rankings, right? I think that Caleb Williams so far this season, uh, against good teams has been a net negative. I I think he's been below replacement level. I think that Spencer Sanders has been replacement level. And I think that Stetson Bennett has been like a little bit above replacement level. So that's why I have him sixth on my list behind Cade McNamara and behind Jack Cohn. But to your point, you're saying like, oh, they've got these five stars on the bench. It's like, oh, you mean five stars like Caleb Williams, right? That's what you have Caleb Williams last because he makes mistakes and you don't trust him for against sure. good defenses. And so they have a veteran guy, Stetson Bennett's been around forever. They trust him. The upside's not there, but they think the upside is like everywhere else on the roster. George Pickens may be on his way back, their best receiver. They've got multiple dudes in the backfield. Brock Bowers is a true freshman tight end, has emerged as one of the better tight ends in the country. And the defense, the defense, the defense. I don't know, and it's also interesting to me, Kirby Smart's a defensive coach, and I wonder if their head coach was an offensive guy if they would do it. I don't know if Ryan Day would like settle for this. I think Ryan Day would be like, well, we have to play the guy with more talent, and we have to get him up to speed. Like There is not a decision here. There is no decision to be made where Kirby Smart is with his defensive guys and is like, I don't know, just like get in the bunker and tell Spets and Bennett to <laughs> take a knee every snap and then punt it back to us, and we'll take care of it. So. Uh, it's going to be a make for a fascinating December. It's going to make for a fascinating December because the absolute consensus, no doubt about it, number one team in the country has a quarterback that nobody outside of Athens, Georgia actually believes in. We're going to take one more break and then we're going to have to do the best guys kind of quick because we've been talking a lot. We'll get to the top three quarterbacks on playoff contenders next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug and Shahan, again, Tuesdays, that's for the Apple Podcast subscribers, $2.99 a month. We had a really good number four discussion, like before anybody else was having that discussion. So you heard bits and pieces of it on the playoff show. You got a whole hour of it, about 45 minutes of it, with us on Tuesday for $2.99 a month to get four shows like that. Let's just do our whole ranking. And again, I think it is very important here. This is not a Heisman ranking. 
Because to me, a Heisman, the Heisman is a wonderfully amorphous thing. I take a lot into consideration. There's a vibe. There's a feel. There's telling the story of the college football season along with skill and acumen and greatness and big game performance. But this is talking about like, who would you take? Who would you take? And that is not the same as a Heisman vote. One, two, three, who are your top three quarterbacks? At number one, I have Bryce Young. At number two, I have CJ Stroud. And at number three, I have Desmond Ritter. And I will say one is a lot more solid to me than two and three. I have that same order. And I might say the same thing. I, it's actually none of it's too solid for me because there's a part of me, because those other guys are young, that are just like, man, I think I still might trust Desmond Ritter. Like, he's not perfect, but he's a baller. Like, he made some plays in the second half of the Notre Dame game when you you had to make plays to save that season. And you made a point, I think, before the podcast of Cincinnati's a defense-first team, but that Desmond Ritter can still be a win because of quarterback and this, to me, is the win because of line that we're talking about eight playoff contending teams and only three teams have win because of quarterbacks in a world where we've said 23 of the previous 28 playoff teams had win because of quarterbacks. So we're already guaranteeing ourselves that we're going to have at least one win with quarterback in the playoffs this year. We haven't had a win with quarterback in the playoff in four years, and we might have more than one. But Ritter, I think, clearly is a because of, because of how smart he is, how reliable, what a leader, dual threat, run and pass, control that offense. I I would absolutely trust him in a big game. Yeah, no question about it. And I think that, you know, he's not the guy who's going to necessarily stand and deal from the pocket. He can, right? I mean... Mel Kuyper loves him, right? Like NFL draft boards like him in some ways more than, than college, uh, college people do in terms of as a passer, but it's that he gives you everything, right? I mean, he doesn't make mistakes. He can make plays with his legs. He can throw on the run too. When he's been under pressure, he's done a good job of handling that and finding open receivers. And you do have the opportunity to use him in some of that zone read stuff as well, especially with a running back as good as Jerome Ford. So, he is one of the steadier quarterbacks in the country who still has a lot of upside to me. Now, again, to, to move on to Bryce Young, I, I think that Bryce Young has had to kind of be that Alabama offense in a lot of ways. They don't have that foursome of receivers that they had a couple of years ago where we're talking four first-round NFL draft picks. Uh, Jameson Williams is a really good player. I think he has played himself into the first or second round. John Mechie's been fine. I, I don't think he's been the guy that we maybe expected him to be. I think that they'd be in big, big trouble, honestly, if Jameson Williams did not transfer from Ohio State to Alabama. Um, again, they, they don't have an explosive running game. They've got a steady running game. And I think that their explosiveness has had to come from Bryce Young. And again, he when you look at some of these advanced metrics, you see the amount that he's under pressure. That's not what you expect from an Alabama team, right? You expect an Alabama team to be able to kind of do what Georgia does and kind of just stand back there and do their thing. Bryce Young's had to throw on the move. He's had to throw accurately. He's had to throw to receivers who aren't necessarily open. And I think he's done a really good job of it. I agree with all of that. Bryce Young does not run a ton, but he just feels a little more slippery to me than yes. C.J. Stroud is. Yes. It has been kind of a, kind of a running joke. Like we were at Ohio State with C.J. Stroud about, is he going to run? Why doesn't he scramble more? Why doesn't he do it in the zone read? And Ryan Day, who run, who's running an NFL offense. It's, I mean, it's sort of like as much as the spread and some running quarterbacks have now gone to the NFL, and so many quarterbacks in the league can run now. 
Josh Allen can run and Kyler Murray can run and Carson Wentz can run and Lamar Jackson can run. Like it's very common to be able to run. Trevor Lawrence in college would kill people with his legs at times. Justin Fields really dangerous when he needs to be with his legs. But yet I, I think with Ryan Dato, Ohio State is sort of like, well, that's not like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not what the point is here. <laughs> the point is a guy who can deliver the ball to playmakers. So that's why I would have Young slightly ahead of CJ because he's going to, against Michigan, he's going to face Agent Hutchinson. He's going to face David Ojabo, two potential first-round guys in the defensive line. And if we wind up with Georgia, Ohio State, Ohio State has a really good offensive line. They've done a good a good job handling some defensive ends. They handled George Karloftis, who's a first-round guy from Purdue. They, of course, didn't have to face Kayvon Thibodeau. But I don't know. I'm not 100% sure what under severe pressure C.J. Stroud's going to look like. But actually, he's probably just going to look like, I'm just going to get rid of the ball to Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith the Jigba and let them run with it. But there's a part of me that just that I would fall back on that with C.J. And I'm almost tempted to fall back on it with Ritter as well. But I do think C.J. played, C.J. Stroud played his best game against Michigan State. I thought he exhibited a mastery of the craft moving safeties with his eyes, understanding where to go with the ball, putting the ball on guys' hands that, yes, sometimes they're open. Often, those receivers are open by three and five yards, and he has four dynamic playmakers on the field with him every single snap, and what a wonderful thing for a quarterback. But as Ryan Day said after that game, CJ's also special. He is playing very well. Now, when we get to have a Heisman conversation, that's a different conversation. I would slightly taste Bryce Young. I think I completely agree with you. But Bryce Young, 38 touchdown passes to three interceptions this year. He has not thrown a pick since the Texas A&M loss. He has 18 touchdowns in that time. He just broke the Alabama single-game record with more than 500 passing yards last week. C.J. Stroud, 36 touchdown passes, five interceptions. He did have kind of an iffy game against Nebraska a couple weeks ago. But against Michigan State, he was 32 of 35 for 432 and six touchdowns in the first half plus one drive. So I do think you're – I could see – can you see a case if someone said, no, C.J. Stroud should be number one? Even though we have Bryce maybe convincingly, would you hear a C.J. Stroud case? I have to ask, honestly. I have to ask. You've watched Ohio State quarterbacks. You've watched C.J. Stroud, obviously, every snap of his career to this point. I mean, how good is he? It, it's so hard to tell because, like you mentioned – I don't think that what he's doing day to day is necessarily something that other players couldn't do, but I also feel like maybe I'm sliding him a lot because I'm just assuming that anybody could do it. It is harder to tell because Ryan Day always with quarterbacks talks about an extraordinary trait and CJ's extraordinary trait is really like vision and processing. It's his brain and his eyes. And that's harder to appreciate compared to arm strength and mobility at the college level, at least, especially with the new guy. You know, once you get to the NFL, if you're going bing, bang, boom against an NFL defense, right? If people said, oh, Peyton Manning, it's his eyes and his brain. It's like, yeah, no, I see that, right? That's kind of what CJ is doing in this offense right now. I'm not saying he's Peyton Manning, but I'm saying he's an eyes and brain quarterback. And when you're surrounded by explosive, dynamic, crazy receivers, that can get lost a little bit. So like, is he as good as Justin Fields? No, but I think if Justin Fields was here right now, he would be like the unanimous Heisman winner. Ohio State would be number one in the rankings, and he would be the number one pick in the NFL draft. There's not a Justin Fields in college football this year, right? So, like, he's not as good as the most. Is he as good as Braxton Miller? Well, Braxton Miller, like, spun around like a top. Like, But he processes better than Braxton did, right? So 
he's doing everything right. In a game like Michigan State, it's like, well, what did he do? It's like, I don't know. He played a top 10 team and did everything right. Like, that's a thing. But I am totally on board because I have thought at times that is not what a Heisman winner looks like. Right. I don't even know what his his Heisman reel is going to be like his receivers taking an eight-yard pass and running 60 yards with it. It's it's all yards after catch. There's some deep balls to Chris Olave, but a lot of the deep balls to Chris Olave are like, oh, Chris Olave is open by five yards, and C.J. Stroud got it to him. He made some really nice throws against Michigan State, but this is the debate that's kind of been going on, and Ohio State fans, to some degree, Ohio State media, have sort of underappreciated him at times. But at some point, you just have to say, man, he's putting up huge numbers, he's winning, and he's making the right decisions. Yeah, and and I think for me, right, it'll be interesting. I obviously expect Ohio State to beat Michigan this upcoming week, but I'm curious to see him against that Michigan defense where he is having to make throws under pressure, where he is having to sidestep in the pocket because that's not something he had to do against Michigan State, right? That's not that kind of team that Michigan State is. We saw, like you mentioned, against Nebraska, at times it was a little shaky, right? I mean, his yardage got boosted because he had a couple of breakaway throws, but like it wasn't down-to-down always there, right? Because Nebraska is a very good defense, similar deal with Penn state. And those were two games that were each decided by nine points because they were teams that could kind of get after him a little bit. And so it's so hard for me. It's so hard for me to, to get into this, especially, and and we have to do this now because CJ Stroud is now the, the Heisman front runner. And I'm also like, I think CJ Stroud has been really good. Also might be the sixth best player on his own offense, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's a really, really good offense. And so it's just, I'm probably a little too unfair the other direction where I, I'm just like, just put Jack Cohen in there. And he, you know, obviously I don't think that that's true, but like, it is interesting. I will say to hear that Ryan Day believes that he is kind of the one processing this. He's the one making the reads. Cause for example, I think that there's a way to make an offense do what CJ Stroud has done with just telling him what to do every play. So it's interesting that Ryan Day feels comfortable letting him make those decisions as well. So I don't really know what's going to happen with this, uh, with the Heisman race, but it, I mean, I, I think that Bryce Young and TJ Stroud so far are, are the top two on this list, but I mean, I, I think that Reuters also right there with them as well. Yeah. I think they should all probably wind up in New York. I think if, if things, I mean, their quarter, if their quarterbacks are playoff teams or close to playoff teams, it's like, Oh, duh. Who goes to New York? I would have Bryce Young first here. That doesn't mean I would vote Bryce Young ahead of CJ Stroud on the Heisman ballot, but also we have two huge weekends to help decide this stuff in the end. Shahan, we both have Bryce Young first. We both have C.J. Stroud second. We both have Desmond Ritter third. You have Jack Cohn fourth. I have Cohn seventh. I have Caleb Williams fourth. You have Caleb Williams eighth. You have Cade McNamara slash J.J. McCarthy from Michigan fifth. I have him sixth. I have Stetson Bennett of Georgia fifth. You have him sixth. I have, uh, is it Stan Sanders? What's his name? Steve? (laughs) Chad? Gavin? Spencer Sanders of Oklahoma State, you have him seventh and I have him eighth. That's not a shot at Spencer Sanders. It's a shot at me being old and forgetful. Let's quickly run through a last couple survey things. We're not going to get to questions, and I apologize. I'll answer, I'll try to answer some of them on the text. We just talked too long. I like the quarterback ranking, though. I thought that was fun. We had the shadow committee. Let's make our picks for this weekend. Ohio State's favored by eight at Michigan. Who wins? Who wins, Shahan? Ohio State or Michigan? Ohio State. I, I just... Show it to me, Michigan. Hey, it's been what 10 years at this point. I'm not picking against it until it happens. 
I think that Michigan is well coached. I think they have a plan. I think they have a chance to run the ball, not turn it over, control time of possession, and keep the Ohio State offense on the field. They're going to get after the passer, but Ohio State's offensive line is really good. I just don't necessarily think they're actually going to be able to stop Ohio State's offense when Ohio State's offense is on the field. I actually think eight's kind of low for that line. So I'm also taking Ohio State. The Texters, 94% taking Ohio State. Oklahoma State favored by four at home against Oklahoma. Who wins? Shahan. If Oklahoma State doesn't win this game, like, we're just – Fold the program. Like, what's the point? Because they're so much better than Oklahoma, but they also have not beaten Oklahoma since 2014. It is extremely in their head. Mike Gundy overall is 2-14 and 14 against the University of Oklahoma and has never beaten Lincoln Riley. It better change this weekend because Oklahoma State is the better football team. It is. It's hard. Like, on the football, right? On the yeah. football, how could you pick against Oklahoma State? But that intangible stuff is real. I'll take Oklahoma State also. Texters, 64% picked Oklahoma State. I also asked the Texters just for their top three. I know the top th- – I knew the top three for our quarterbacks would be the same. The Texters, again, with an Ohio State lean, C.J. Stroud, one, Bryce Young, two, Desmond Ritter, three. C.J. Stroud, pretty convincingly, number one there. Not a huge shock. And then I just wanted to get where the Texters are on Cincinnati because I like checking in on that. I asked, will they finish 13-0? And if they finish 13-0, will they make it? 96% said, yes, they'll finish 13-0. 93% said, yes, they will make it if they are 13-0. In conclusion, with the rankings out right before we recorded, I feel like Cincinnati is in very good shape. We said it last week. We said it on Tuesday. And do we remain in agreement on that, Shahan? Yes. Then we'll get out of here. We went too long, but we were talking quarterbacks. That's what happens when you talk quarterbacks on the Tuesday show. We had a really fun Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Tulas, Alabama discussion. I would encourage you to check that out if you like this podcast at all. Again, we do it every Tuesday, every Wednesday. This Wednesday show is always free for everybody. It's the College Football Survivor Show. Make sure you read Shahan's work at CBS Sports. And for now... For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.